Law Enforcement Today radio show. I'm your host. My name is John J. Wiley. In addition to being a radio broadcaster, I'm a retired Baltimore police sergeant. In the Law Enforcement Today radio show, we are joined by special guests. We'll be talking about their experiences and issues affecting law enforcement officers, their families, and the community. We'll also be discussing issues in the news from the perspective of those in law enforcement. Check out our daily articles on our website, lawenforcementtoday.com. And while you're there, download our free app. Be sure to like and follow us on Facebook. Search for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. She went from fighting crime to fighting cancer and breaking all kinds of stereotypes about law enforcement along the way. And she's coming up on the Law Enforcement Today Show. The Law Enforcement Today radio show is brought to you in part by Transformations Treatment Center. Call 888-991-9725 online at transformationstreatment.center. Transformations Treatment Center provides a comprehensive range of treatments for addiction, substance abuse, co-occurring mental health disorders, and PTSD. Transformations Treatment Center has a nationally acclaimed Veterans and First Responders Treatment Program offering rehabilitation and holistic treatment for all those suffering from substance abuse problems. Law enforcement, firefighters, veterans, and all first responders receive the dedicated and highly specialized treatment they need at Transformations. Their program features first responders and veterans therapists helping first responders and veterans. Transformations Treatment Center. Call 888-991-9725. That's 888-991-9725 online at transformationstreatment.center. Calling us from the great state of North Carolina, Rebecca Hendricks on the phone. Rebecca, thanks so much for joining us. Very much appreciated. Thank you for having me. Got a hold of Rebecca, got noticed her story uh, by, or far I say from an interview, an article that was written by an author about Rebecca and her story. Uh, Before we go into all that, and we talk about her law enforcement story, why she made the choices she did, Uh, And as I said in the teaser, Rebecca has been breaking stereotypes about law enforcement uh, people uh, her whole life, uh, and I can't wait to talk about those. But first, we have a rather serious thing to talk about. Uh, All this will be serious, but this is really serious. You're you're fighting cancer right now, correct? Yes, that's correct. I've got stage three colon cancer. And you're a young person. 34. Yeah, that's... We'll be 35 in July. That's very, very young. And now, what's your cancer treatment consist of? Right now, I'm doing six months of chemo, which consists of every other week, um, a three-day treatment. And I've done four of those. Uh, I think I have eight left. That sounds uh, like something, I'll be honest with you, I can't even really understand. It's, It's not easy. I... I've seen a few family members go through it, and I don't understand how they've made it through it, and now I'm having to deal with it, and it's not easy. When you think of toughness, mental toughness and physical toughness, you know, I think of people who are like uh, boxers, MMA fighters, uh, like that, and I don't often think of people who are battling cancer, but when you talk about toughness and resilience, there's really no better example than someone who's dealing with something like this. Uh, I believe it, and I, I honestly believe that there's nobody tougher than the children ever fighting it, because I've seen some of those guys, and they always have a smile on their face, and I sit here going, I can't even get out of bed today, and you're always smiling. 
and you make me feel really bad about myself right now just by saying that because I, I talk <laughs> about my aches and pains and a woe is me and I'm having a difficult time losing weight and I, I have good problems. I always tell people I've got uh, problems that uh, are reserved for people who've become elderly. I'm not elderly yet, but it's it's a byproduct of, of not dying young, which is a great, great thing to have. Hey, I, I know how you feel. I've I've got all those aches and pains, and I used to complain about the arthritis that I had, and now it's going, you know, I, I never should have complained, because I probably brought this on myself. So you've got colon cancer at stage three. How did you find out? Uh, a fluke trip to the ER. Um, I went to the emergency room thinking I needed a blood transfusion, because I had been dealing with some low hemoglobin issues while I was in Afghanistan over the summer. And I had a blood transfusion there. We were on the range one day, and I just got to feeling really weak and kind of out of it all of a sudden. And the guys that I was with said, no, we're, we're going to go to the ER. And they did some x-rays and CT scans. And the ER doctor said, no, there's something more to this. We're going to admit you and find out what's wrong. So basically, so you think, had internal bleed. Is that what it was? Yes. Yes, I did. My hemoglobin had been down to a four for about two years, and it was just something that I lived with. It was a normal for me, but the doctor said, no, you know, there's, there's that blood's going somewhere, um, and we're going to find it. And what it was was my tumor was bleeding, and that's how we found it. They don't even talk about colonoscopies for people your age. No, they do not start recommending colonoscopies until you're 50. Which reminds me, I'm about five years overdue for my my second one, uh, so I'm going to make an appointment as soon as I'm done with this interview. Well, the prep sucks. It, it does. <laughs> you know, the truth is, that's the worst part of the whole thing. The actual procedure, I mean, they put me under, and I came to, and I was like, honey, take me to the all-you-can-eat buffet. I was ready to mm-hmm. go. Well, mine wasn't quite like that. I woke up with two doctors saying, you have cancer. <laughs> But, and that's not supposed you know, to happen. It's a very though. simple procedure. And you were saying you were in Afghanistan when you found out about this. Well, I was in Afghanistan when I found out that my hemoglobin was so low. Uh, it was kind of a domino effect from there. I was home when I found out about the cancer, but the hemoglobin, I've always been anemic, so I just blew it off as, you know, that's just part of what I've got going on in my body, and I'll figure it out later. What were you doing in Afghanistan? Civilian contract security. Oh, thank you for that. People automatically assume that if you go through Afghanistan or Iraq and the combat zones, you're military. And a lot of people mm-hmm. that are there are not military. No, there are more civilians than there are military. And I've, I've spent time in, in Doha, Qatar, and also in Iraq and in Afghanistan as, as a civilian contractor. And I absolutely loved it. I loved working with the military. And what did you guys do when you were out there? I mean, the parts uh, that you can talk about. I know you can't talk about everything. Mainly supervising the guards that would work the, the entry control points to the bases. Uh, those guys are usually locals that they hire, uh, especially in Afghanistan. They've got local Afghan guards working the entry control points, so you'll have an American who supervises those guys. In Iraq, it was, I had Ugandan guards, I had about 130 of them that I was in charge of. And that's what I did. I showed them how to search vehicles and how to look for bombs and how to look for suspicious items and, and things that, you know, could come in and out of the base. But you were still very much in, in a hazardous situation. Yes. Oh, yeah. Um, Afghanistan was worse than Iraq, but 
you get used to, to hearing the incoming motor sirens. <laughs> you just listen to where they're at, and if they're close, then you might take cover. And if they're not, you might roll over and go back to sleep. Were you at one point interested in a career in the military? Yes, I was. I actually attempted to go into the military twice. I come from a military family. Um, I was born with what's called congenital hip dislocation, and that is an automatic disqualifier to get into the military. And I get that with the, the marching and the distance and being able to run and everything else and, and mm-hmm. being concerned about being in combat situations and not being able to evacuate or pick up or carry someone. I, I get that point. Right. But it must have been uh, very frustrating for you. Apparently, the doctors told my parents when they did the surgery, I think I was six months old, that they told my parents that, you know, I would never run, I would never be able to play sports, I would never be able to do any of the things that I've, I've actually done. So that's probably why I'm also looking for a hip replacement at 34. But, you know, I wasn't going to let something like that, you know, I, I wasn't going to let it stop me. And that is an attitude I sense from your article about you that, that we'll talk about more. So you weren't able to go into the military. So you went into a career of law enforcement for quite a while. Mm-hmm. How long did yeah. you do that? Well, I started dispatching when I was 17, believe it or not, right out of high school. Um, My sister-in-law was a dispatcher, and I get out of high school, and she says, you need a job, but I have an opening. (laughs) So I started dispatching and fell in love with it. Yeah, well, you're not talking about McDonald's, the drive-thru dispatching. You're talking about 911 dispatching. Right. And there were nights before I actually even graduated high school that I would be bored and instead of going out with friends i would go sit at the sheriff's office with my sister-in-law and listen to her take calls or listen to the officers and you know i I learned the ropes from her we're going to take a short break we're talking rebecca hendricks uh inspiring woman great story you're going to hear we talk about shattering stereotypes about law enforcement when we return to the law enforcement today show in just a few moments don't go anywhere We all know that law enforcement, first responders, and military have dangerous jobs. They see and experience traumas that most can't even imagine. And all too often, that takes a toll leading to substance abuse, PTSD, and co-occurring mental health disorders. Transformations Treatment Center is dedicated to helping protect those who protect. Call 888-991-9725 online at transformationstreatment.center. Transformations Treatment Center provides a comprehensive range of treatments for addiction, substance abuse, co-occurring mental health disorders, and PTSD. Transformations Treatment Center has a nationally acclaimed veterans and first responders treatment program, offering rehabilitation and holistic treatment for all those suffering from substance abuse problems. Law enforcement, firefighters, veterans, and all first responders receive the dedicated and highly specialized treatment they need at Transformations. Their program features first responders and veterans therapists helping first responders and veterans. Transformations Treatment Center. Call 888-991-9725. That's 888-991-9725. Online at transformationstreatment.center. Got an old car? You can donate it, whether it's running or not, to the United Breast Cancer Foundation and save a life. They'll even come and pick it up for free. The United Breast Cancer Foundation has saved hundreds of women's lives through their free or low-cost breast screen exams. But now they need your help. 
The United Breast Cancer Foundation wants to save more lives through early detection by offering women free or low-cost breast screening exams. And donating your old car, SUV, or truck, whether it's running or not, helps pay for them. Plus, you get a charitable tax deduction. Help the United Breast Cancer Foundation save lives by donating your old car, SUV, or truck. Call now for free pickup. 800 280 Missed past episodes of the Law Enforcement Today show? Never fear, you can listen to them online. Just go to our website, lawenforcementtoday.com, or download our free app, also available on our website. That's lawenforcementtoday.com. Joining us on the phone, Rebecca Hendricks calling from North Carolina. Rebecca, uh, to, to paraphrase, went from fighting crime to, to teaching law enforcement and security in Afghanistan as a military contractor to now fighting cancer. And, and this is all at a very young age. Uh, you're in your early 30s and you've done more in your life than many people do in 60 or 70 years. Right. I say that in a way that's in admiration and I also say that in a way where I want to apologize. I wish you didn't have to go through everything you did. Well, I believe that everything happens for a reason. So I'm I'm going to come out of it on the other side and be stronger for it. And what's on the other side once you lick this cancer? Uh, what you want to go back into law enforcement? I'm hoping so. Right now, that's kind of questionable and up in the air. But uh, I'm looking at probably a move back to Oklahoma, where I'm from. And we'll see. I, I hope I can go back into law enforcement. Well, for those listening, if you're in a law enforcement agency around Oklahoma, be on the radar for Rebecca Hendricks in the next year or so. And, and you're going to find out why uh, her background is so interesting. Why don't we just go ahead and just start talking about that? One of the misconceptions a lot of people have about law enforcement officers is that that we were all like for males, we were altar boys, and I was an altar boy, and I, I did go to a seminary, and I thought about being a priest before I went into law enforcement, but I was oh, also wow. a mischievous kid. You know, I got into a fair amount of trouble, nothing serious, just minor stuff, um, but people tend to think that the people that are in law enforcement come from squeaky clean backgrounds where everything is like uh, leave it to beaver family. No, absolutely not. <laughs> that was not the case for you. 
No, not at all. My father was an alcoholic, and my mother went to prison for drug trafficking when I was 14. So, it's I've got an interesting family. I'm the black sheep because I went the legal side. Isn't that fun? You're the black sheep of the family because you went with the law. Yeah. And, and that's another thing. And I, I can't come up with a good analogy, but our families that we come from, and I've known many law enforcement officers who have family members who were felons. Uh, that mm-hmm. And we were not allowed to associate with people who are known felons. And uh, when we're off duty, you're like, well, what about my Uncle, my Uncle Billy? You know, we're at a picnic. Can I go to the picnic? And they go, yeah, go ahead. And, uh, b- <laughs> but it's not a sterile environment that we all come from. And a lot of our yeah. law enforcement officers, and your story, which we'll talk about, uh, come from very, very difficult circumstances. And we always hear in the news media and Hollywood that if someone grows up in a family where you have a severely alcoholic parent and the other one is in prison, that you're destined to spend the rest of your life in and out of uh, correctional facilities and probably be on death row by the time you're 30. Right, and I've argued that point from the time I was a kid. I, I believe we make our own choices. And and I know there's that stereotype there, and I know that a lot of those families, they do end up that route. They do follow in those footprints. But I believe that if you're strong enough, if, if you're strong enough to want out of it, you can make your own path. And, and that's what I wanted. I didn't want to be what my parents were. And when did you realize that? Was that a conscious decision at a young age? Unfortunately, yes. That was that was something I decided at a young age. I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I knew that I didn't want to be that. You know, I didn't want the fighting all the time. I didn't want the drugs. But you know, I'm not going to say I don't enjoy an alcoholic beverage every once in a while. But I because I do. But I don't take it to the level that my father did, and I to the level that my mother did. And while I'm saying that, I will say that my mother has finally turned her life around and she has been clean for three years and doing That's better awesome. now than what she has ever done. There's so many people that are doing time uh, mm-hmm. that are, and I, I break it down this way, you have people that were, are in prison that would never be there if it wasn't for alcohol or drugs. That's one mm-hmm. segment, and that's a large segment of the prison population. Then you have Absolutely. a segment of the prison population that had a bad 10 minute stretch of their life where they didn't react the right way and wound up getting a physical altercation with someone and then a very small percentage are these violent career predatory criminals that prey on everybody on society and in prison they're they're after everybody else as well Mm -hmm. so i think it's great that your mom got clean uh, and Working in law enforcement, one of the, the one things that we always loved, I should say I always loved, is when you'd hear someone say, you know, that officer, I owe him a, a debt of gratitude or her a debt of gratitude. They arrested me for DWI, and that's what sparked me to change my life. Or right. they were constantly having drug problems and, and at the house every Friday night for domestics, and then they got sober, and they sought you out and wanted to say, look, I'm doing good, and I want to thank you. For, for taking an effort and taking time with me. And, and I want to pay society. I think it's phenomenal. Oh, absolutely. I've had a few people come up to me over the years and, and thank me. And I've even had people thank me as I was taking them to jail. And and I think those are the ones that you know really want to, to make a difference and change their lives. And, you know, that was, I think, the reason I love law enforcement so much is you do see so much bad, but you also get to see a little glimpse of 
making a difference in somebody's life. You do. And we, we often had people that, young people, there were teenagers in trouble, get arrested for a robbery or something ridiculous, and they turn around and at 18, 19, whatever, they're in college, they listen to the military, they're doing okay, and then we see them when they're 23 and 24 and they're squared away individuals, and it's, it mm-hmm. makes you feel really, really good deep down inside. Yes, yes, it does. And that's something that happens quite often. Uh, again, that's something we don't hear about a lot in the media. Uh, so you grew up in Oklahoma. Very small town in Oklahoma, yes. Whereabouts was it? Kyoto, Oklahoma, which is in the southeast corner. Um, a town about 1,500 people, maybe. Uh-huh. I graduated with 33 people in my class. So very small town, then. Very small town. And everybody, is it safe to say, everybody knew that your, your family had problems? Oh, yes. Everybody knew everybody there. Yeah, it's kind of hard which, to keep those secret, too, by the way. Right. I, I never worked for the county that I grew up in. I actually started my law enforcement career in the next county over, which is still, you know, everybody still pretty much knows everybody there, too. But it was a little bigger of an area. So I started my law enforcement career in LaFleur County. And how long were you there? And the first time I was there as a dispatcher for about four years. And then I left and moved off to Muskogee and stayed there for a few years and then started my overseas stuff. Um, when I went back and got full-time certified, it was in 2013, and then I was there for three years. And then you found out about the cancer, and that kind of, did that put an end to the, the law enforcement career, or was it doing the defense contracting? Uh, no, I was most recently doing the defense contracting. I had... I had been working in Wagner County as a tax deputy and decided that I wanted to go back overseas one more time. I hadn't got to do Afghanistan, and I got the chance to do that. Uh, my teenagers had just moved in with their dad, so I took the opportunity to go to Afghanistan, and then that's when everything started going downhill and the domino effect of my health. But So I was looking at when I come home from Afghanistan, I was going to go home and do another law enforcement job but then this happened and how long ago was that that was in i come home in september i was diagnosed in november so you've been uh, fighting this for a few months at this point yes and is, is yeah, the prognosis getting better after thanksgiving i'm sorry is the prognosis getting better or what are they saying right now they are pretty sure, they're pretty positive that when I come out of chemo that I should be cancer-free. I had a surgery that where they removed part of my sigmoid colon, which was where the tumor was at. Uh, I come out of that surgery pretty positive, and they were pretty sure that they got most everything, but there was a little bit of what they believed was some of the cancer cells and some of my lymph nodes, so that's why we're going through the chemo, just to make sure that there's nothing else still lingering there. Well, for what it's worth, my mother, who's in her 80s, developed a a cancer of the colon or anal area, and that was five years ago, and she's doing very, very well. And uh, she's considerably older than you are, but she she sounds like she has a similar inner strength and fortitude as you do. Uh, We'll find out more about that when we return to our conversation with Rebecca Hendricks. This is the Law Enforcement Today Show. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Epidemic, America's public health crisis. These are all terms that describe the current problem 
of drug and alcohol abuse in the United States. Countless lives are lost, and heartbroken families are too many to count. Transformations Treatment Center is dedicated to saving lives. Call 888-991-9725 and online at transformationstreatment.center. Transformations Treatment Center provides a comprehensive range of treatments for addiction, substance abuse, co-occurring mental health disorders, and PTSD. Transformations Treatment Center has many acclaimed treatment programs offering rehabilitation and holistic treatment for all those suffering from substance abuse problems. Transformations Treatment Center. Call 888-991-9725. That's 888-991-9725. And online at transformationstreatment.center. Americans are going crazy for a new Italian diet pill that burns three times more fat than dieting alone. And the next 100 callers get three bottles for free. Sold under the brand name Invigorate 3X, this powerful pill triggers metabolic acceleration, a process that's deficient to most Americans, making weight loss a hassle. But a new study shows 30 pounds gone in 90 days with just two capsules a day. Julie B. of Nashville says, I was skeptical, but when I saw a famous doctor made it, I decided to try it. I was shocked. I lost 16 pounds in six weeks. For a limited time, our listeners get three free bottles with a qualifying order. Call 1-800-932-1786 now to get started. Call in the next 10 minutes and also get a free bottle of the Doctor's Ultra Detox. And don't forget your free 14-day diet fix. No obligation and 100% free when you call right now. 800-932-1786. 800-932-1786. The Law Enforcement Today radio show has grown so much and so rapidly, we now have two Facebook pages. You can do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today radio show. That's a new page. Be sure to click like when you get there and follow. In addition, we have our main page, which is Law Enforcement Today. So do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today and be sure to click like and follow that one as well. Back to our conversation with Rebecca Hendricks on the Law Enforcement Today show. Rebecca, there's there's so many things. First of all, I'm really inspired by your optimism uh, and, and your determination when you talk about your fight with cancer. And fighting is part of the mindset of most anybody I know is in law enforcement. I didn't have a great fighting mental mindset when I first started as a rookie because I really didn't know what I was getting into. But you have to develop it along the way. I'm not talking about, for those listening, fisticuffs. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the very concept that was drilled into our brains from the first day of the police academy to the day I retired was that Mm -hmm. no matter what situation you find yourself in, whether it be a gunfight, whether it be a physical fight, whether it be uh, doing CPR on someone, whether it be the one close call I had with delivering a baby that thank goodness didn't happen because the paramedics got there. <laughs> I was so worried about that one. That was my biggest fear. Um, but you don't you don't give up the fight. You stay in. You find a solution for what you've got to deal with because backup's mm-hmm. around a corner and you never have to do this by yourself. But you, you, you've got to find within yourself the ability to stay there and hang in and stay in the fight. Yeah, it's all a confidence issue, I think. I mean, if you tell yourself you can do it, then you can do it. 
Yeah, you even mentioned CPR, and I, I will never forget the first time I had to initiate CPR by myself, and EMS was 15 to 20 minutes out, and this was a very large guy that I had to pull off of a, a chair that he was laid back in, and, you know, I'm sitting here thinking, am I actually going to be able to do this? And as soon as I felt the ribs crack, you know, I, I knew what I was doing, and I knew I had to continue to do it until somebody else got there. Right, and, and once it, you start that, you can't stop. you got to keep on right. going. Yeah, it was just me, and I was there by myself, and it was a good 10 minutes before anybody else got there. But, you know, EMS later told me that if I hadn't have done it, he would have died. How and, exhausting. And you have to look at that, that you have to make these life-or-death decisions, and you better be able to make them. <laughs> and yeah, once you do, you, you like you can't give up with the CPR. How how long was it and how exhausting was it? Oh, it was horrible. It, I mean, it was every time I had done it before that, you know, we would rotate in and out. There was enough people that you could rotate after a minute or so. And But I'm telling you that, and it may not have been quite 10 minutes, but it, it felt like a lifetime. And the next day, I was so sore, I felt like I had ran a marathon. Yeah. It's, I do know, and I, I'm not going to go into details on this, but uh, the very first time I was with someone doing CPR, the person doing CPR on quite often will regurgitate. And, and back mm. then, we did not have these uh, barriers that we used between the mouth. And uh, <laughs> let's just leave it at that. It was the paramedics had a great deal of fun at my partner's expense on that one. I could imagine because that's part of one of my biggest fears. <laughs> it is. It, and I don't want to go back to uh, something that I think in your story that I think will inspire a lot of people because the truth is uh, we, we talk about in America that there is a prevalent drug and alcohol problem. And, and now people love to use the yeah. terms like epidemic and it's recent. And it's not recent. This is stuff that's been going on for a very, very long time. Uh, and, you just have more media outreach now to, to yeah. where you know more about it. Right now, someone listening is a youngster, is a teenager that's living in a situation like you did when you were a teenager with the problems you went through. This is your opportunity to talk to them and tell them how you made it through. You just have to hang in there and you have to to make your mind up that this is not going to be me. This is not what I'm going to do. And you surround yourself even at school or, or activities that you do to get you away from that. I made sure that, you know, if, if I knew it was going to be a bad day at home, I, I made sure I had activities to go to. I was a cheerleader in high school, believe it or not. You know, I played sports. I had a job after school. I made sure that I that my path was leading me away from that. And, and, of course, I was your typical teenager who ran around, and we had our parties, and we had our fun, but I always knew that I was going to get out of that situation and get out of that town and, and not look back. So many people don't hear that. And, and uh, it seems, and I don't want to beat a, a dead horse on this, but it seems as the media tells us and convinces everybody that doesn't matter whether it be racial or whatever, if someone is in that environment and it's usually an economically depressed environment and there's physical violence, there's substance abuse, there's addiction, there's alcoholism, and all the stuff that goes with that and extreme dysfunctionality, that that person has no choice, that they're going to spend the rest of their life in and out of jail. You always have a choice. And and even my mother, who has been an addict most of her life, you know, she, she argued with somebody a few days ago, and she said, no, addiction is not a disease. It's, it's not something that 
it, it's not a disease, it's a choice. You made the choice to get high the first time. You made the choice to take that drink. You made the choice to do the drugs. You may have got addicted along the way, but you still made that choice. Yeah, once you make the original choice, for for what whatever reason, there's a segment of our population that, well, let's use alcohol as an example. So many people can drink and drink to excess and be fine. And then there's mm-hmm. a certain class of people that the moment they put alcohol in their system, it's game on and they change totally and they don't have an off switch. The, the drug situation, these drugs are so addictive in themselves, when you that person makes a choice to, as they say, and I'm using the air quotes, party, and by the way, that whole party concept that I hear so many people talk about, uh, it may for them have started off as a party, recreational use of drugs, whatever, uh, but at some point, they crossed the line, they knew that things were bad, they knew that they were becoming addicted, uh, and that's in where I think the term choice comes around, where they continue mm-hmm. to to do this stuff, knowing what the consequences could be. Was that the case in your family, you think? Yeah, I, I think, you know, I think in the beginning it probably was just a let's have fun. You know, it was probably 70s or 80s when they started and all of it, and everybody around them was doing it. And then I think it became a point to where it was probably no longer a choice. But eventually they did make the choice to get clean and to get off of everything. So it it still comes back around to choice. And your mom is doing well now. She's doing great. That's important. And please tell her, I said, uh, keep it up. That's phenomenal. And it's one of the best things that she can do for herself and for her family. I will. Thank you. And to think of it right now as we're talking, someone is being convinced to say, hey, let's try heroin for the first time. <laughs> Thinking it'd be different for them. And, and it's not. No. And... You have your people that, you know, you're always going to have people trying new things. And you just hope that there's that there's a light at the end of that, that, that someone's there to tell them, hey, we don't need to do this, or you don't need to do this to have fun. Did you encounter a lot of that in your career in law enforcement? I did. It, see, when I was in high school, you know, we would have our, our drinking parties, and we would run around, and, and we would all enjoy and have fun. But I think... The older I got and the more I seen in law enforcement, we were going out to these parties and there was a lot more drugs involved than anything. And and it started to see a decline of, you know, your your good kids, not to say that there's not any good kids, but you were seeing more good kids getting into bad drugs. Uh-huh. And it's, I want, you know, people tend to say, oh, it's the area, it's the town, but it's not, it's everywhere. Even in small-town America, there's no escaping this. It is literally everywhere. Yeah, it, it is absolutely everywhere, and you, and you can't blame it on your town. And, and I think I tried to do that with even me in high school when I said, you know, oh, I want out of this town. Well, there's some really great people in that town, and there still are some really great people in that town. And I moved to the next town, and you still have the same problems there. It, it's everywhere. There's no escaping it unless you really want to. And a lot of people they don't see that they don't see what the law enforcement side sees or what the medics see you know we see the bad side of cities absolutely we're gonna take a short break we're talking to rebecca hendricks this is law enforcement today's show don't go anywhere we will be right back are you working so hard to make a living you can't take time to make any real money 
Is every day the same boring routine going nowhere and the money runs out before the month? My name is Ron Legrand and for over 35 years now I've been helping clients take their life back by buying and selling houses with no money, credit, experience, or license. If you'll call 800-956-0677, 24 hours, and leave a message, I'll send you my new book and CD absolutely free so you can see how. I've bought hundreds of houses and trained thousands to do the same. Call 800-956-0677. Get your free starter kit until 500 are gone. You'll learn how to make a full-time income on a part-time basis without risk, largely tax-free, and get 90% of the work done for you for pennies. That's 800-956-0677. 800-956-0677. Again, 800-956-0677. That's 800-956-0677. Want to fly somewhere? Looking for cheap flights or cheap tickets? Then call. That's right. Call the low-cost airline travel hotline now for prices so low, we can't publish them anywhere. Low-cost airlines has all kinds of cheap travel deals. Fly domestically and save up to 75%. You can even fly internationally and save even more. Yes, fly anywhere in the world and save a lot of money on your plane tickets. We'll even save you money with cheap travel deals on hotels, rental cars, even complete travel packages. So don't book your tickets until you call us first for the absolute Absolute cheapest prices on U.S. and international airline tickets and hotels. Call right now for prices so low they can't be published. Travel experts are here 24-7 to help. 800-451-8603. 800-451-8603. 800-451-8603. That's 800-451-8603. Back to the Law of Voice of Today show. I'm John J. Wiley, joined by Rebecca Hendricks. Rebecca uh, is fighting a battle with colon cancer as we speak. And uh, from what it sounds like you're doing very, very well, you had a career in law enforcement. You've done uh, many years of military defense contracting in war zones. And mm-hmm. you're hoping that when this cancer treatment is done, that you get to return to a career in law enforcement. How, how much longer will they think before you'll be finished with this? Um, looking at ending chemo in possibly June or July, hopefully June. Uh, so it's probably going to be just, you know, how long it takes me to, to come back and get my strength up after that. Each chemo treatment takes a little more out of me, I've noticed. So hopefully it didn't take long to, to bounce back after that and to figure out what my next move is. And once you are done and doing well, how long before you think it will be be in shape to be back on the street? Uh, hopefully by the end of the year. That's that's my goal. By the end of the year, I'm back at work doing something. But running is not going to be part of it. Well, we'll we'll try. <laughs> <laughs> See, I told people I'm done with running. I, well, I, I don't enjoy it. <laughs> no, there's nothing about that I like at all. But I do like physical training. I do like the gym. I do like weight training. I do like physical defense training. I don't get to do enough of it being an elderly gentleman that I am now. But that's all <laughs> part of the law enforcement skill set right. that you have to have. I don't like it, but I'll do it. <laughs> you mean you don't like getting punched in the face? <laughs> Not necessarily. No. But so many people no, out but, there you know, have but never you had have that. to train. Yeah. Because if you're not training, the bad guy is. They certainly are, and they are training in, in jail, they're training in prison, and they're actually, 
I remember watching videos of uh, these inmates training how to come off the wall when they're being frisked and uh, to incapacitate physically the officer and get their weapon. And they train it religiously. And so many of our law enforcement officers don't feel the need that they have to train because, well, it's easy to become very complacent that, you know, nothing bad has happened and nothing bad's going to happen to me. Right. But, you know, you look at the statistics now and more and more, the first time I had to deal with a law enforcement death and it was a very close friend of mine, you know, it wasn't as common back then. In, In 2007, officers weren't being killed daily. And now you everywhere you look, there's another officer down. And if that doesn't tell you to train, I don't know what does. Uh, right now, I think it's on average about uh, every little more than every uh, two days, like 2.2 days, mm-hmm. an officer in the United States is killed in line of duty. And we have far more taking their own lives also. Mm-hmm. Which yeah, that's I believe been a that number is up over 100 already yeah. for this this year it's a bad one and when i was uh policing in the 80s and 90s the the amount of line of duty deaths was actually much higher than it is now and it it stayed that way the 70s were particularly deadly and 70s like 74 up through 92 93 uh, were really bad years for loss of life and law enforcement across the united states i think people and again that kind of goes back to media too that you know, people see more about it now, or there's more of these movements that happen now because of the media. Somebody sees something that somebody did, and they're like, oh, well, I can take that, and I can I can do it better. And, and it travels across the country, even across the world, faster than what it did, you know, back It's It's hard, hard not to be aware. Yeah, well, we're bombarded with it, especially in social media. And by the way, we forgot to mention you have a social media page that you're very involved in that's a, a passion for you. Tell us about that. It, it's just my my cancer journey. Um, I had so many people wanting me to, to share my story whenever I first got diagnosed. And so I made a, a Facebook page. It's called Rebecca Strong. It's You know, you can find it at Facebook slash Rebecca Strong Cancer Awareness. And and you'll see my chemo treatments. You'll see my good days, my bad days, and my days that I'm not so strong. I, you know, I feel like if my story can help somebody, then then I'll let it all out there for somebody. I'll, I'll tell you the good and the bad. If it helps one person, it's worth it to me. That takes a lot of courage right there to put yourself out there for people to see 24-7. I mean, you may not be on a computer 24-7, but your story is. Right. And there's always what we call internet trolls. They're going to say something negative no matter what you do. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Have you had to deal with them at all? No, not not on this. I, I've ran law enforcement pages before where I you know, obviously had to deal with, with negative people, but not on the cancer page. Um, everybody that has come across there has been really supportive. So you're very inspirational in your fight against cancer. And I think that's an important message that people need to get out there, that y- you obviously have the mindset, this is survivable. You have doctors telling you it's survivable. Uh, it's going to be uncomfortable. You're going to go through a lot of discomfort, but you're going to be okay in the end, where 20 years Absolutely. ago, that wasn't the case. No, colon cancer is actually one of the leading causes of death up until I think here recently, it started to be a little more manageable. How can people become more aware about this? I, I, obviously, and I'm 
to blame. I had a colonoscopy at age 50. He said, you don't have to come back to your 55. That was five years ago. I haven't been back. Mm-hmm. I want to get it done. I need to get it done, but I, I don't make it a priority. Right. And most people don't. And, and you know, even with me, they, I, if I had called and scheduled, you know, and said, hey, I want a colonoscopy, they'd laugh at me because I'm 34 years they old. Wouldn't, they wouldn't, the insurance company wouldn't pay for it. They wouldn't do it. You're too young. You're not in the risk category, as they say. Right. And I've even been genetically tested. I am not genetically predisposed to anything. Nobody in my family has ever had colon cancer. So, you know, if it it may come down to what we eat. I, you know, foods are a lot different these days, and I think people need to be aware of that as well. But I didn't have a lot of symptoms leading into it, but there were a few that I probably overlooked. People just need to be aware of their bodies. And if you think that something's wrong, definitely have it checked. Definitely don't be embarrassed to tell the doctor that that horrible symptom or you know what you may be embarrassed to talk about because it could save your life you're also quite inspirational because you've overcome and you've broken stereotypes about growing up in the family you grew up in with the, the environment it was and making positive changes making decisions to do something positive with your life and i that- don't know i i look at it as you know it was the cards that i was dealt in and that's just what it was <laughs> But that's the reason I say this, Rebecca, is because so many people are in your position, the position you were in when you were younger, and right. they may not know that there's a way out. They they may think that somehow there's a predestination that this is a life I'm going to be forced to live. No. Well, to those people, I would say there is always a way out. And, and if you've got somebody that you can reach out to and talk to, absolutely do it. If not, you know, find me on Facebook. I, I will absolutely be happy to talk to anybody about the situation that they're in and tell them, you know, how I think that they could get out of it or what I think they need. Is that through your Rebecca Strong cancer page or your personal page? Uh, the Rebecca Strong cancer page. It's all linked to my personal page, too. So you're really out there. You're really putting yourself out yeah. there. <laughs> and you'll be looking to return to law enforcement, hopefully uh, by, let's say, next fall? Hopefully. When you want to go back to Oklahoma? Yeah, I my kids are in Arkansas with their dad, so they're both in high school, and I want to be there for their first proms and their football games and everything, so I would like to get a little closer to them. And last thing, I'm going to run out of time, but I remember going through my job interview as a, an applicant for the Baltimore Police Department, and they talked a lot about the, the family you grew up in, how you grew up, did you experiment with drug use or anything of that, that nature, was that a stumbling block for you when you were in that position, or were they beyond that at that point? No, it, it, I think it helped me more than hurt me because I was able to explain, you know, I'm wanting to get into this to make a difference and to change the way that I grew up and change the way that I was. And, you know, in interviews, one of the questions that I'm always asked, and I always laugh when they ask it, is if, you know, if you were to pull over a family member or if you were to be put in a situation to where you had to arrest a family member, you know, would you be able to do it? And I always laugh and say, well, I've arrested my mom, so I believe I can. <laughs> you said you arrested your mom before? Well, technically. Um, she had a warrant and she called me and she said, would you take me to turn myself in? So I always joke that I've taken my mother to jail. Well, I guess that that qualifies. Uh, the, the answer for that for me would be, I would say, hold on, I'm calling for my supervisor and put the burden on him or her to take care of that situation. <laughs> Rebecca Hendricks, thanks so much for joining us on the Law Enforcement Today Show. Very much appreciated. Thank you.
Thank you for having me. In every community across the United States, we have law enforcement officers. We have first responders. We have incredible stories of heroism from our first responders. In addition to that, we have heroic crime victim survivors. If you want to tell your story of survival and how you recovered and how you rebuilt your life, feel free to contact us. Thank you so much for spending part of your day with us here at Law Enforcement Today. On behalf of everyone associated with the show and the website, this is John J. Wiley. Until next time, see ya.